Hello and welcome to today's VJ Hemonk podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. This podcast series will feature selected sessions from the 20th International Workshop on Non-Hodgkin Lymphoma, which was held in Miami, Florida, and brought together leading experts who discuss the latest in the field. In this podcast, you will hear from Tanya Siddiqui and Nirav Shah, who discussed the growing role of BTK inhibitors and degraders in lymphoma. Following this, Martin Hutchins, Marion Subclu, Mazyar Shadman and Krish Patel share some insights into the role of bispecific antibodies in this disease setting and future considerations for the use of these agents. Hi, uh, I'm Tanya Siddiqui. I'm a hematologist from City of Hope uh, Medical Center in Southern California. And I have with me Dr. Nirav Shah, um, who is a hematologist from uh, Medical College of Wisconsin. We just had a great um, session on uh, novel therapies, talking about BTK primarily. Uh, the session is called BTK inhibitors, but we also talk about BTK degraders, which is why I kind of just call it BTK. <laughs> Uh, we started with talking about xanabrutinib, acalabrutinib, and then you talked about pertabrutinib. So uh, that's the exciting new non-covalent non binding BTK inhibitor. If you want to tell us a little bit about the data you presented. Of course. Uh, thanks, Tanya. And it was a, a great discussion today. So, I, I, you know, I think pertabrutinib is a little bit different than the drugs we've talked about so far. It's a non-covalent inhibitor, uh, sort of first-in-class drug, the first in that generation to be approved actually now in relapsed refractory mantle cell. <laughs> Uh, most, what's important about it is it has a different mechanism of action. And so uh, it can actually inhibit BTK even in those patients who have progressed on covalent BTK inhibitors or those who have a mutation at the C481 site, uh, sort of making the covalent inhibitors uh, no longer effective. And so, uh, you know, we shared some data today looking at its efficacy across B cell malignancies, which I thought was relatively impressive uh, with high rates of overall response uh, in BTK exposed CLL. BTK exposed mantle cell, um, and even difficult to treat diseases like Richter's. Uh, the safety profile of the drug looks very compelling, uh, especially when we think about traditional BTK toxicity such as AFib, um, hypertension, uh, bleeding, which were actually very, 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 very low in the Bruin trial, which actually enrolled um, over 700 patients. Uh, so I, I think this is definitely a drug uh, that has a place in B cell malignancies. Uh, but as I showed at the end, uh, it's not the end all be all. So resistance mutations can occur uh, to non-covalent BTK inhibitors. And uh, luckily, you talked about what we can do for that group of patients. Right. So we talked uh, a little bit about early data that we've seen so far from the Nurex uh, BTK degrader trial, uh, the 2127 program. That's a product that basically uses the ubiquitin proteasome pathway to degrade the entire BTK complex. But also um, that particular product has an effect on Cereblon as well and leads to degradation of that protein as well, um, thereby leading to like a two target sort of uh, effect um, of this uh, fairly well tolerated uh, uh, treatment modality. It's oral therapy. The trial enrolled patients with various B cell lymphomas, including CLL, of course. And the responses were a modest, like 33% overall response rate, but um, uh, all the patients had had 
prior BTK inhibitor therapy, um, uh, including I think there were one or two with pertubrutinib failures, uh, as you mentioned. And majority of the patients were also double class exposed to BTKI inhibitors as well as venetoclax, so BCL2 inhibitors. So it's sort of this growing population in CLL, especially where we, we don't have a lot of good options for people who are failing our two best um, targeted therapy op, uh, you know, treatment modalities. Uh, the company has come up with a new product, um, the 5948 product, which uh, is also an oral pill and that basically just degrades the BTK. It doesn't have the cerebellum side effect because on the uh, 2127 program, they saw a little bit too much neutropenia essentially as a side effect. And we think maybe it was the cerebellum effects that were leading to the, the neutropenia. So on this new phase of the study, it'll be nice to kind of see if that side effect goes away. Um, uh, the study is now enrolling. It's taking all B cell lymphomas, including primary CNS lymphoma, um, because I guess they have you know, penetration into the CNS and uh, we don't have data yet. So that'll be something we'll discuss, you know, in the future. There aren't a lot of other BTK degrader programs out there, but these are the, the Nurex ones are the best sort of most developed. So both trials are enrolling. Still, we'll see if, you know, the treatments are useful in um, a number of other B cell diseases, yeah. not just the CLL. So uh, exciting time yeah. <laughs> in CLL and lymphomas with all sorts of new targets coming, al coming along. Yeah, no, I think it's great that, you know, we didn't stop at covalent BTK inhibitors right. and say that once you have exhausted those, that that pathway is no longer accessible. Exactly. So I think that between the non-covalent, the degraders, and whatever comes next, we can sort of reestablish BTK inhibition and, and prolong patients' you know duration of response with right. I think well-tolerated oral agents. Right. So right. Um, I, I think that's really an exciting development, and it was a fun conversation to have today about um, the future of this yeah. field, which is which drug do you give first? <laughs> yeah, and and I think some of the other discussions. The, that occurred with uh, Ikala and Zanu showed the reason why we need so many different agents in this pathway, right? That uh, there are potentially some side effects, um, uh, more so than ibrutinib, of course, hypertension, bleeding, um, you know, neutropenia, et cetera, and, and, and of course, then resistance mutation, as you talked about. So, so there is a need to develop all the fields further, and I think this was a great session to, to summarize all that. Yeah, agreed. Thanks. Thanks. Hello, my name is Martin Hutchings. I'm here at the IWNHL in Miami, Joined by Marion Souplil, by uh, Magia Jadman, and by Krish Patel. We've just been taking part in a very interesting session over two hours on bispecific antibodies in non Hodgkin lymphomas. We've been discussing the use in large B cell lymphomas, where there is approval of two drugs, but also in other indications and in different interesting combinations, including perspectives for the future. So we have a few minutes to. Uh, give our take-home messages for the, uh, for the audience at home. Marion, do you want to point out a few highlights? Yes, so um, I talked about Vinatumumab. So that's um, first in class um, by specific that was approved um, almost 10 years ago. And I think there are like three lessons we um, can learn from um, Vinatumumab that might also be applicable to the settings of lymphoma. So first of all, I think we've learned that bispecifics are more successful, no surprise, but um, in earlier treatment lines. So it was first approved in Relapse 
that's refractory and was shown that in salvage one it works better than in later um, treatment lines. It also has been shown with Blin that it works um, particularly well in the MRD setting and there's interesting data now um, evolving that um, best responses or even a benefit is seen for blinatumumab if combined in upfront de novo BCB ALL in MRD negative setting. So um, it also indicates probably that our technology is not um, super. Probably these patients are still somehow at least MRD positive. And I think the third aspect is as we are still not curing all patients that are still residual cells, um, that we have to look at the T cell compartment. So um, I think T cell exhaustion, T cell dysfunction, also through exposure, chronic exposure to the biospecific is an issue. And I think um, we need to take account also when we combine our treatment strategies with biospecific and sequence our biospecifics that we watch out the T cell compartment that we rather enhance uh, T cell function than depress um, T cell function. And one of the things that uh, came out from our analysis that um, there are also necessity for treatment-free intervals. So that continuous exposure to the bispecific is probably detrimental for the T cell compartment, but uh, that having it on and off either through the treatment cycles or through additional drugs like dazatinib uh, might be beneficial um, to increase efficacy. So these considerations are relevant in the context of all the different T-cell engagers. I must ask you, though, you spend very little time on blinatumumab in lymphoma. Is there a role in the future for, for blinatumumab and DLBCL? So I think the original uh, studies, I think 2008, were actually in lymphoma and they didn't see the same activity like in ALL so that's why the company at that time uh, proceeded into the ALL context. Um, I think they are still struggling with putting up the dose and side effects um, but now there's also an application of sub-Q so maybe they're getting up the dose uh, at some point but there are so many competitors I'm not sure uh, how far Blin is going to go in lymphoma. All right. Dr. Shadman, you opened with a difficult task, which was a comparison of the available data in the CD3, CD20 biospecifics. Would you summarize your thoughts on this? Sure. So, of course, uh, for large cell lymphoma, we have two great options now, uh, both epicaritumab and glofitumab. And on a day-to-day -day practice, we have to make decisions and discuss with patients uh, pros and cons of each approach. So, we had a chance today to discuss uh, clinical efficacy, safety profile, and some of the logistical reasons with both drugs at the high level. And uh, the conclusion with the current follow-up, there doesn't seem to be a major difference in terms of their efficacy or even safety profile. But we discussed the fact that the long-term follow-up would be extremely important, uh, focusing on infections and cytopenias. The two drugs have differences in terms of their delivery. One, Caritomab is treatment until progression, and uh, Glowfit has a fixed duration therapy. So uh, maybe with the current follow-up, we're not capturing some of the differences in the safety profile, but this is definitely something that we need to follow. Um, and real-world evidence would be important as well. Um, some of these drugs will be used um, different than what the clinical trial or the label recommendations are. So we will learn a lot about the experience in the community in future too. Absolutely, still a lot to learn. And even though these antibodies are similar in many ways, there are also big differences in their structure and the way that they are given. So, Absolutely. so you, Dr. Patel, you had 
the opportunity to, you, had, you, were, you were working hard, you told us about Otronextomat and Plamotomat. Yep. Would you summarize uh, the discussions around these? Sure, drugs? happy to. So uh, I'll do Otronextomat first. So Otronextomat is another CD3, CD20 bispecific antibody. Um, currently uh, has been studied in phase two trials in DLBCL and follicular lymphoma. And what we summarized and saw in that trial is that very similar to other bispecific antibodies in large cell lymphoma, for example, in uh, patients who have had prior CAR T-cell therapy, have had more than two lines of therapy. It's a highly active uh, bispecific. Overall response rates look to be around 50% or so with uh, roughly speaking about half of patients achieving complete responses. And those appear to be potentially durable. Um, so I think comparable to what we've seen from other agents, but uh, I think as was alluded to previously, have differences in dosing intervals. Uh, CRS was seen in about half of patients, mostly grade one, grade two during step up for DLBCL. In follicular lymphoma, we see a similar story, but a higher overall response rate. So the overall response rate was approaching uh, 80% with the majority of those being complete responses. Uh, safety looked very similar to uh, DLBCL for the follicular lymphoma patients, mostly grade one, grade two CRS and odronextumab is actually being reviewed for potential approval, at least in the US, by the US FDA. So maybe another tool to add to the toolbox and another sort of variation on a bispecifics that we'll have to incorporate into practice. And then plamotumab um, is another CD3, CD20 bispecific antibody, also with a full-length FC receptor, um, still in dose optimization studies in phase one trials and we presented data really again in uh, relapse refractory DLBCL, slightly different cohorts than other bispecific trials. So slightly later line, median of four prior lines, uh, slightly higher fraction of post-CAR T-cell therapy exposed patients. But again, similar there, about 50% response rate, uh, CRs in the 25% response rate and similar CRS primarily during step-up dosing. So I think common themes across the spectrum of CD3, CD20 bispecific antibodies. So I myself covered uh, epcritimab and glofitimab, um, showing data that are already known to most because these drugs are approved, as you said, in, in third-plus line treatment of large B-cell lymphomas based on frequent and deep responses, many of which are durable. But we went a bit further in our discussions towards what's happening next, interesting combinations, because they are highly combinable. That goes for adronextomab and plamotomab as well, eventually. And we also ventured on to talk about the potential uh, use of these antibodies in first-line treatment of large B-cell lymphomas. There are studies ongoing. We don't have really have data yet. We have a bit of safety data that looks pretty good. But of course, is this the answer to our next steps into first-line treatment? Nobody really knows, but it was an interesting discussion. We also have uh, friends that are absent here. We had uh, Laurie Sen who had to leave. She uh, covered mosinituzumab mainly in its use in follicular lymphoma and Rajiv Nair, uh, telling us uh, uh, new words from the interesting story of TNB486, which is a CD3, CD19 bispecific antibody, which looks very promising in both indolent and aggressive B-cell lymphomas. So with that, I think I will wrap this up. Thank you very much for your participation and uh, thank you for your attention. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJHemonk and subscribe to VJHemonk Podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. Until next time.